Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back, and Julie and I are broadcasting live from lovely Miami Beach, Florida. Uh, we are looking out of the window in our hotel room at the beautiful ocean and the sands and whatnot, and some of you might be surprised. Tim and Julie, you live at the beach in Puerto Rico. Why would you go to the beach in Miami? <laughs> Which, you know, actually, we've had three people ask us that very question when we tell them that we're going to Miami. Especially people who live here. You're going like, hold on, we go to Puerto Rico for vacation. You're coming here. Didn't you get that all wrong? Well, we're here because we're, uh, you know, for the holidays, obviously, we're doing a little light Christmas shopping for the zo- for the Zoster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and... Um, and also to visit with a lot of friends. So that's why we're here, primarily. And it's, of course, a nice time of year uh, to, you know, do a little traveling. and gives you an opportunity to do a little bit of uh, reminiscing and, I think, appreciating as well. And so also the most important thing that all of you need to be doing this time of year is working on your real estate treasure maps. And we've been talking with you uh, leading up to what we're going to be focusing on for the rest of this month, which is helping you complete your real estate treasure map. So the real estate treasure map is your fill-in-the-blank business plan. Not just a business plan, but also your life and your business plan, uh, breaking everything down. So when I say life and business plan, I mean it's helping you to set specific attainable goals in both your business and your personal life. And the biz- real estate treasure map is completely free. You can download it. Um, and we'll give you the information on that in a second. So what we're going to be focusing on today is what we started on yesterday when we were talking about Napoleon Hill's a great book, Think and Grow Rich, which, by the way, is one of the books that we give you for free. Um, and it's in, not included with the Real Estate Treasure Map. It's actually a separate book in addition to the Real Estate Treasure Map. So Napoleon Hill is, and if you aren't familiar with him, I uh, suggest you fire up the Google machine and, and research him. But Napoleon Hill, I think, will be largely, um, I think people would argue, would not argue against the fact that he's maybe the grandfather of not just the mindset movement. No. I, I would say he's beyond that, honestly. Thinking big, uh, understanding in business how to become profitable, but but really adding your mindset plus action. And I think he's one of the founding yeah. fathers of that. And the, the thing that we wanted to concentrate on today, and maybe maybe this will become a two-part, we'll see, um, is translating some of his thoughts. And, and of course, you know, we allow you to download and use Think and Grow Rich for real estate people. And because this is an older book, Napoleon's book is a 20s. little bit, you know, written in the 20s. Yep. And so, you know, you might think, well, how is that relevant today? When you download the version for real estate, you'll know exactly how it's relevant for today. And we'll also talk about this a little bit in the next uh, podcast here. So we wanted to highlight the five biggest ideas. But of course, when you download that, you'll get the full version. Keep talking because okay. I don't have the phone number memorized. <laughs> oh, I was wondering if yeah, you did. I don't have it memorized. Okay, you'll, you'll get to it. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm so we're going to start out with uh, uh, the five biggest ideas from Think and Grow Rich. There's a whole lot of different ideas, but we want to kind of get you chewing on this so that you'll be inspired to actually download the whole thing. Uh, the five big ideas start with number one, the starting point of all achievement is desire. And, you know, when we talk to you guys in the treasure map, we talk about 
sorting out your different desires and your goals into five areas of life. But sometimes you guys struggle. Sometimes people in general, whether it's real estate professionals or otherwise, you know, I've had people tell me on coaching calls or at live events, gosh, you know, I really don't know what I want. I don't know how to actually do this whole goal setting thing. And there's different levels of that, right? So there's the basic struggling to get through life, figure out how to pay your bills level, because that makes it very clear what your goals are. You know, you want to have a little something left over every month, then you get that figured out. And then maybe you get to the point where you want to start doing some investing. And then our listeners who are maybe getting to be grizzled veterans are like, you know what? I got my house paid off. I got my cars paid off. Got my uh, kids and grandkids 529s covered. So gosh, I don't know what to want. And so this is one of the things that we cover in uh, the treasure map, trying to get you to think bigger. All right, I found and, it. Okay, so but, all right. So I commercial have to use, break. I'd use my cell phone, right? So the phone number to download your real estate treasure map, um, you have to text this phone number, and we text you back a link. Is that cruise ship actually moving? No way. Somebody's honking about something out there. Hold on. Why did everyone on the beach all of a sudden stop moving? <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of think they'd get out of the way of something. Was that, that a size tsunami on their alarm own. or something? No, but seriously, did you see. notice everyone stopped? Yeah, it's a little weird. I don't know if listeners heard that noise, but it was a very loud. Well, luckily, luckily we're on the seventh floor, so we should be okay. Yeah, we were looking at this cruise ship. This cruise ship hasn't moved since we got here. So here's what's happening. Either that's the world's cheapest cruise. Like people paid $15. It's just a ship. There's it's just no a ship. Well, you know, so there's either a lot of people on there, but they just aren't going anywhere, you know. Which I doubt. Or it's a vacant cruise ship. And you actually, we'll get back to our points. Yeah. You actually had an interesting, I read an interesting article about the cruise ships. The fact that there's an overabundance of, uh, an oversupply of rooms and people aren't rushing back to cruise ships. Yeah. And so, in fact, I've seen an aerial photograph. I can't remember where the biggest amount, there's some place in the world, there's a photograph of like 40 of these giant cruise ships just docked kind of all together well, not, out in the sea. Yeah, not right? docked, but they're because, basically just, yeah. they're not moored in the sense well, that they're... Because you can't um, dock them like at the servicing places all over the world. There's too many ships for docks. So they're having to basically, you know, anchor them out at sea and wait for business to come back. I think that's what we're looking at. I think at. so too. So outside in the ocean, it moved. right outside in the ocean, there's this, this massive cruise ship. I can't even count how many floors that damn thing is. It's at least 15 floors, I think. It, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it but anyway, really that that horn, I don't know what they're up to. Anyway, if we digress, you can tell it's live. Right. Well, but again, the cruise ship <laughs> is sitting there with, uh, you know, essentially, obviously being somewhat forgotten about. As world marches on, just an omnipresent reminder that yes, we're still experiencing the fallouts from COVID, mm -hmm. literally floating right in front of us. Yes. <laughs> well, so anyway, if you want to download the real estate treasure map and all the other books that we give you for free, you have to text 2021 to 855-685-1045. So just go ahead and text 2021 at 855-685-1045. And when you do, we'll text you back a link and you can download the real estate treasure map. Um, and all the other books that we were talking about, including the, real, uh, the uh, Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate, as Julie is reading uh, you, you the salient points about the five things that you're supposed to take from reading that particular book. And again, that's a book Julie and I listen to or read this time of year every year because it really does set our minds straight for setting bigger goals and also for making sure that we're not being complacent with regards to the goals that we're setting, which is an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing just to say, 
well, you know, I sold this many houses this year. I'm going to sell this many houses next year. That's not really the type of goal that mo that's going to motivate you for long. What's important when you're uh, goal setting is you, you attach yourself to goals that are actually going to be immediately uh, sort of emotionally stimulating or you know that are going to lead up to something that's going to give you an emotional uh, payoff. And so when you're listening to today, uh, today's points and you're listening as we roll out the rest of the real estate treasure map for the rest of this month and you're thinking about your own particular goals, the, the real important thing is you set goals around what you want, not what other people want for you. Because if you are one of the you know normal agents and normal people, really, you're going to go and start talking with other people about what their goals are. Or maybe you're even going to ask people for suggested goals. You won't accomplish those because they're not meaningful to you. So when you're going through this process, make sure when you're writing something down, you're considering it. You attach your emotions to it and ask yourself, how does that goal make me feel? If you feel a little spark of excitement about it, then chances are you're on the right path. And if you don't, perhaps you need to think bigger. And this is one of the reasons why Tim and I travel as much as we can, you know, getting back to it a little bit with, uh, in spite of the whole COVID thing and with caution, of course. Uh, but, you know, think bigger. Watch, watch a documentary about a town you've never been to, and maybe that's interesting to you. Go to a bookstore. Look at magazines about things that you have a little bit of interest in. Join some things, you know, and try out. Maybe you've always wanted to get better at photography. Well, go pursue that. Think bigger. It doesn't all have to be, you know, like earth-shattering huge goals. Sometimes it can be a curiosity you have. Sometimes it could be something that you've wanted to get better at, but you've never drilled down on. So you've got to find that desire. Well, I remember the first time when you and I were in our 20s and we were selling real estate where we finally had some money so we could start doing some traveling. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any kids. And I remember we just started traveling mostly domestically. And the experiences, we'd go to, uh, we'd go to places that we'd always fantasize about. Well, we're from mm -hmm. Ohio, so... I mean, you know, God bless Ohioans because we are ultimately Ohioans, you know, because that's where we're from. But Ohioans fantasize about being anywhere else other than Ohio. I mean, yeah. that's pretty much true. So we had a whole long list of places we wanted to go. And we started hitting up those places when we were in our 20s. Of course, where we are now, Julie and I used to come down to Miami on a fairly regular basis. You know, Key West and California. But really what we started to gravitate towards were the places that were like the people where people lived like we wanted to be one day we wanted to start going places to to really expose ourselves to what it's like uh, wh what life would be like as a result of having thought big for a long period of time I guess is what I'm trying to say sure and to get a variety of those experiences right so you know going to Italy was pretty amazing we always reflect upon that quite a bit and you know going to the UK and seeing castles and you know but it doesn't even have to be that. Maybe you are listening right now and you have never been to a beach before. It's entirely possible. I remember, you know, I had a friend in California that, honest to God, had never really seen a thunderstorm. Well, I'd never been to a beach until, when was I? Well, I'm sure it was with you because I'd never been to a beach yeah, until I was we probably... High school probably, at least. High school? Yeah, yeah probably Mexico. Yeah. yeah, probably high school. But still, I mean, that's, you know, it's abnormal nowadays, I suppose. But the reality of it is, is you also, when you're thinking about uh, how to condition your brain to thinking uh, bigger, it's also kind of a fun exercise to start thinking about, I know this might sound a little counterintuitive, but thinking about things that will force you to think bigger. And, um, you know, I don't think I've Just ever made it. Mind. I, what, did I? Well, I was thinking, you know, maybe you've never had a new car before. Maybe you have just been dying to have the right space in your house. I mean, the whole country is fueling the housing continued boom. Everybody's moving for different reasons. But, 
you know, things are okay. What's your saying that we're spiritual beings in a materialistic world? Well, I borrowed that from Deepak Chopra, but yeah. But it's true. Yeah. I mean, so like I have never made it a secret that I'm a huge car fan. I mean, being down here in Miami, I have to say it's like <laughs> a, constant, a constant visual treat, you know. But the, or rather it'd be up here now, wouldn't it? Since up we live here. in Puerto Rico, I'm so used to thinking. We've gone north. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We went north. <laughs> that's bizarre. Um, but yeah, so the car thing for me has always been important because A, I love cars. And I'm not loving cars, just the prestige of them or just those types of things. I mean, I genuinely love sports cars and driving. I've done some auto racing. I've done some, you know, things on different racetracks. Just, you know, I'm a car nerd. But the thing that uh, I really like about cars is the community that are behind cars. So when you like, for example, it just doesn't matter what variety of car you, you like, but when you start um, going to those events and experiencing those things, then you're running to other people that chances are uh, are maybe thinking bigger than you, and you're gonna, it's going to expose you to a whole new set of thoughts and people you can associate with. It's one of the blessings in our life of living where we live, frankly, in uh, Puerto Rico. Um, and uh, we're exposed. I ran into, Julie and I ran into people every single day that are sometimes we recognize them. I mean, we are going on a walk maybe last year and we like, well, there's Brendan Pritchard. And it turns out he's our neighbor, like yeah. lives right next door to us basically. And then another day we were walking and well, Julie was walking the other day and she basically tripped over uh, Ricky Martin. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so when you're around uh, people like that, it automatically forces you to think bigger because then you realize that, you know what, why am I only seeing myself in this particular way and only thinking of myself with, in, with these particular limiting beliefs about myself. And oh my gosh, maybe I do have limiting beliefs. And before those were just words strung together and maybe I'm actually experiencing right now, I'm being confronted with my limiting beliefs because now I'm realizing that maybe I want a new Porsche or something like that. And so that's okay. It it's is okay. okay. I right. know there may be people around you and maybe even yourself consciously or subconsciously are thinking it's not okay. But it's okay. Well, why? Because if you wanted, I'll stick with the car thing. Sure. Because <laughs> it's easy for me. Well, so I used, I've used cars as motivation, but I've also used cars, uh, you know, essentially for socialization, but I've used cars mostly for goal setting. So if I, for example, would have chosen, and Julie's, a, Julie's come around to liking cars, but she mentioned going to Italy, for example. So one of the things I've always wanted to do, and eventually after years and years and years, I made it. Uh, convinced her that she wanted to do it too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because <laughs> I wanted to go to Ferrari and Lamborghini and I wanted to go to, you know, all these places in Europe that I've always dreamed about since I was a little boy um, and go to see where the cars were being made. Well, you don't just show up and say, I want to, you know, go on a tour. You have to be connected. You have to know the right people. You have to you go through the paces. Out. You have to figure it out. Well, it took us a long time to do that, but we actually did go there. And in doing so, we obviously met a whole bunch of amazing people, many of which we're still friends with, some of which, by the way, we're meeting here in Miami. But when you want something, for example, if I was like when I was selling, um, when Julie and I started selling real estate, we were in our early 20s. We bought our first house and we were, I think it was 22 and 23. I really don't remember. Do you remember? 21. Well, we, 21 we, and 22. Oh, I, you were 21? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. We bought it. In, yeah, you're right. Yep. We bought it in 2001. Uh-huh. Man, we should have kept it. No, that. no, 1990. I don't know. 1992. 1992? Do you remember how old we are? Oh, I choose not to. Uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm too old to remember how old we are. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> this is at least four cappuccinos you know, that's a gr- in, too. That's a great excuse, too, yeah. Well, so right. I mean, I remember setting the goal of, and we sold over 100 houses our first year with our pendings. And as far as I know, no one's ever done it before or since. Um, but I set the goal of having a buying a Ferrari. Uh, didn't matter if it was used or not, by the way. I just want to edit this before I turned 30. Well, it was after I turned 30, but I did get a Ferrari. It was a 348. I remember uh, it. 
Spider or something. You know, was not a good car. We did not keep it for long. <laughs> but it was not the point. The point was basically to have set a goal and to have accomplished the, uh, getting the goal. And then, well, look at what else that created. So in the pursuit of said car, then I had to learn how to really, because I really stayed focused on that. That was a big thing. I, you know, Ever since, again, I was uh, just a little boy. I always liked cars, Magnum PI, the whole thing. Oh, and then like not so long ago, just a few years ago, Julie and I were actually in Hawaii, and we went to Magnum P.I.'s mansion, which had been bulldozed, unfortunately. Oh, so sad. Yes. And I'll tell you guys a little fun. It's a local uh, when we were in, uh, what island were we on? Oahu. I Oahu, think. yeah. And uh, so we were, we walked all the way to see the mansion. I don't know how many, it's like of the 10,000 plus of you listening right now, there's like three of you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, the rest of you just suck it up because this is a good Hit story. Hit the Google machine. This, it's okay. This is a good story for the four of us who like this. Yeah. Maybe five with Julie. <laughs> so the whole show was filmed at this place called Robin Masters Estate and we could walk there which we did and we walked there and sure enough the whole place except for the guard shack was all bulldozed uh, so as we were walking back we stumbled across locals and the locals told us that none other than barack obama had purchased the mansion through a holding company based out of chicago and bulldozed the whole thing and it was like soul crushing to see that but at the same time it was also kind of a you know, the beach of, was still there kind so. of a funny story yeah. yeah yeah but anyway so i always had a fancy of owning a ferrari and i set the goal of owning the ferrari before i turned 30 and um you know it was 30 and, and a half basically and i did it mm -hmm. but in order to do that in order to accomplish that goal what had to happen well i had to learn how to sell i had to learn how to save money i had to learn how to help people i had to learn mm -hmm. how to close deals and julie and i obviously had to learn how to work together we had to learn how to run a business together we had to think of all the things that the pursuit of that goal um, that i was obviously really emotionally attached to forced me to do and Julie had similar goals too. Hers were mostly, uh, you know, travel and such, which we did those along the way too. Well, but that's a great example, Tim. And I love big goals that cause other goals along the way to happen. Yep. I'll give you another example. We have a great coaching client in the state of Washington, and his big goal is to run a marathon. I think it is in July. That he, so it's specific. You know that Ferrari? I was just thinking about that Ferrari was in 1993. Three. Three. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yes. That's funny. Um, but so he set this goal of running a real marathon in uh, July. Okay. So we have a date. It's measurable. It's specific. And I was asking him, this is his first real marathon he's run. And, you know, I was asking him, well, what is the preparation for that? Well, there's a whole running coaching program that he has to do for 90 days to six months prior to, depending on how good of shape you are and how much running experience you have. So those are little milestones along the way, which is causing him to also have to change his nutrition, right? So, uh, and then modify his schedule. So you see how all of these goals are stepping stones but on the way to the big one. Physical goals are always the easiest to try to use as examples for the reasons that you just stated, mm -hmm. right? Because there's a lot of books and podcasts and coaching programs sure. that have written about people who want to, you know, do marathons and do triathlons mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. And it is, it's a very formulatic approach. And a lot of people like, because it's it, like it because it's very do this, do that. It's very black Disciplined. and white. Yeah. Right. Whereas when you're trying to obtain a goal that's a little bit more obtuse, like for example, you buy know, a Ferrari by the time you're 30. There you go. I mean, there's not a clear-cut <laughs> yeah. way to do that. And when you're seeking yeah. out advice for pe from people, like we had a coaching client in San Diego. I'm trying to remember his name. I know he's a podcast listener. I'm so sorry I don't remember your name. But he he is a loan officer, actually, and you'll, you'll remember his name, won't you? I will, actually. 
Chidu. It sounds like that. Yeah, it's not that. That was a different client. It does have a C, though. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I don't remember your name. In any event, I'm on vacation, and I have an excuse not to remember all the intricate details of clients' names. Um, I'll remember as soon as I stop trying to remember his name. But listen, he sent me a picture mm-hmm. that he bought himself a Ferrari. Nice. Yes, That's he awesome. bought a, uh, what did he buy? He bought a 488, a, uh-huh. a, a, like a dark, dark gray 48 Ferrari. Cool. Um, and his, the uh, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. It's something with the right. CH. Anyway, so he's a loan <laughs> officer in San Diego. Yep. He bought his Ferrari. I believe he bought it, and he was, I think he's only 31 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he bought, he said a bigger goal than I did. Of course, there wasn't cool, you know, the Ferrari he bought was a piece of crap, and he bought a way nicer car. <laughs> but he did it. <laughs> yeah, he point. did it. That yeah. was a, that was nice. the point. But good, the, the again, the takeaway here is when you set big, audacious goals that you're almost embarrassed to tell other people, but it's something that in your darkest of days motivates you when you're sitting there and thinking, oh my gosh, the world is definitely caving in around me and doesn't want me to accomplish my goals. And then all of a sudden, you know, you can put yourself in that place where you're traveling to Italy, where you're rocking around some beautiful historic place you'd only uh, learned about in National Geographic. And some people don't like to go to ancient, you know, history. They want to go to places where like the place, like the world's going to be. So if you want to go to what a real modern uh, version of, say, for example, you know, a city would be, go to someplace in the Far East. Go to go, Dubai. Or go, to, go to Dubai. Go to places that are really going to challenge you and excite you. And if traveling doesn't excite you, just find something that really will spark. But it has to be a big goal. So that goes back to the point I was uh, trying to make earlier, that if you don't set goals that are going to really motivate you, then you're never going to accomplish them because you really don't give a crap about them. And the goals that most of you set are just like that. You're not setting goals that are going to make you uncomfortable. So there's a nice little principle you're familiar with all this, or at least not, you know, you are, will be in a second, is whatever your goal is, what would it be like to 10x that goal or 20x that goal? So if your goal is to say, for example, you know, save $100,000 in the next 12 months. For some of you, no problem. You do that in a month. Others of you, that's a huge goal. Well, what if you were to set the goal instead of saving $250,000? How would you go about doing it? Well, you know, that's where the real estate treasure map kicks in. That's where essentially you have to remember the goal is a dream with an action plan. So Julie's got five great points directly from Think and Grow Rich to summarize the book and hopefully to motivate you guys to actually download it and start reading it. So that was number one. The starting point of all achievement is desire. So you've got to work on that very specific goal setting and what your actual desires are. Point number two, you are the master of your destiny. That means you've got to own it. It's not up to somebody else. It's not up to waiting for the market to change. You know, most of you guys have really killed it in the year of the pandemic. And I think that that should be very inspirational to all of you. If you can have some of your best years ever during a global pandemic, you ought to be fine when things turn around. You know what I'm saying? So if you haven't owned it yet, now is a great time to do that. We had a point last week in some of our mindset ramp up points to getting to the treasure map, which was stop waiting, stop waiting for the market to change, stop waiting for yourself to feel like it, stop waiting for, you know, uh, COVID restrictions to go away, stop waiting for somebody else to make decisions for you, stop waiting for clients or prospects to call you back. You have to be proactive and you've got to own it. So that's a big point in Think and Grow Rich. Point number three, when defeat comes, and sometimes that's perceived defeat, sometimes it's real defeat, accept it as a signal that your plans are not yet sound. Rebuild those plans and set sail once more towards your coveted goal. And there's so many places in real estate where this can happen, where you're thinking you're defeated. Well, maybe it's because you know, you're trying to do what you've always done in a market that wasn't like this. And I, I'll tell you the most obvious example I have from this time. 
and I won't get stuck on this, but it, it's so prevalent. When you feel defeated because, okay, I've got all these great buyers, but I can't find them anything to buy. That's because you keep on using only the MLS and you're not thinking out of the box and you're not acting in a modern world with low inventory. So that means that your plan of action for helping the people who you have just promised to help needs tweaked. You need to change how you're going about things, right? We should, we should interject yeah. something here because I was just, as I'm looking out, you're talking about COVID, you know, you mm -hmm. mentioned that. And Julie and I are um, staying at the Ritz-Carlton in Miami Beach, and we're looking out over the ocean, and then in the you know foreground is the pool. And do you notice how they basically have social distancing around the pool? Did you notice I that? I do. They modified. They modified, yeah. It's, and I'm, there are people here. And But you notice how most of the people, uh, what they've done is they've unmodified the mod modifications. Some of them. I think <laughs> some of it's families hanging together. But, yeah, me too. But yeah, I mean, you know, we're all having to live with this. But I think what, we're pulling away of, of not doing anything. We still have to do stuff. Yeah. Another thing that worked for Julie and I that I'll suggest to all of you, and frankly, there's different iterations of this now that we didn't have available to us. But the other thing that we always would you I can't say always. We didn't do it perfectly, but we did it pretty damn close is we always had them, I said always again, well, we'll stick with always. We always had the notion of by the time that we are in our late 30s, early 40s, that we'd be able to live off cash flow mm -hmm. from paid off rental properties. And it was definitely a hard road to go. I mean, we wanted to make it so that one day we get to the point where our money is working for us and we no longer have to work for our money. We always had that as a vision, but did we always stay true to it? Not exactly. Sometimes we strayed, but we what this did is it required um, a absolute focused and forced um, set of uh, rules for ourselves pertaining to lifestyle and spending money. So, you know, it's, it's so funny as I even try to struggle describing this. Yeah. Because I think back of all the times that when you and I were accumulating rental properties, how infrequently we'd come across anybody that understood what we were trying to do to the right. point where we just stopped trying to tell them. Yeah. Because we were making sacrifices in lifestyle that because we wanted to save cash to, ba to buy a property. Now, uh, of, see, what was it? How many did we end up financing? Just three and the rest we ended up paying cash for. Mm -hmm. um, and we did that because, again, it was forcing us to follow a certain set of rules without, because we didn't want to, you know, experience what so many other people, especially in real estate, experience, which is uh, bankruptcy or, you know, a lot of people in life experience, essentially they overspend on lifestyle or they take too many risks. And look, we always were looking for opportunities to uh, make our money work for us when we no longer had to work for our money. We looked at real estate franchises, we, you know, Keller Williams and all these other things over the years. But when we'd look at these numbers and we'd look at the essentially what was being presented to us and we'd compare it to the plan that we were on with regards to buying rental properties and we'd try to buy usually maybe three or four per year, usually that worked out, but sometimes it was only two, it just depends, you know. Um, but when we would have that as our rule, okay, Julie and I had this notion that if we had a paid off rental property, that rental property would then produce an average of 800 at the time dollars per month. We knew we wanted to make about $30,000 per month by the time of paid off rental properties, by the time you know I was 40 and Julie was 39, and we exceeded it. But the thing that was fascinating about that whole experience was, is that you might you know make that much money from your uh, rental properties, but that doesn't mean you're netting that much money. It's just sure. like everything else. Sure. So then you're dealing with expenses, and there's the management of everything, and then there's well, just... so you modify your plan as you go, but you right. keep your north star. But the point, yeah, the point I'm trying to make again is that we had that as our rule, as our benchmark, because mm -hmm. you and I both both attached ourselves to the idea that we could be living off of the passive income that came from the rental properties uh, before we were too old and too gray. Sure. Okay, and that's and that is what that's we it. did. 
And it, we wanted to be able to say in our 40, 40s plus, thank you, past Tim and Julie, for keeping that North Star, for modifying your plan, for sticking to it. Yes, for looking at other opportunities, but sticking to the overall goal. But we didn't take any of the other opportunities. And I'm glad we didn't. Yes, well, because we're us now 50. Well, but even <laughs> but, at the time. But yes, I, even younger. I but, would agree with that. But just this is worth reflecting yeah. upon. You know, actually, I don't think you and I actually talked about this. But um, I remember when Keller Williams was coming to uh, Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we know Linda and Jim McKissick and the whole thing. And we were seriously considering a franchise, maybe even trying to invest in a region, the whole thing. And we we looked at the numbers, the amount of money you had to invest, the, how well, long it would Well, we looked take. seriously. This was not one conversation. We went to Austin. We, you know, we did the training. We looked very seriously at the numbers. And the numbers didn't make sense because we knew for the amount of cash that it would require for us to put into it. And this was back in the 90s. Now it's obviously a lot more. How long it would take and what it would take for us to essentially get any kind of return on meaningful return on investment on that cash. It didn't make any sense to us. And when we tried to express that to other people, um, it didn't make any sense to them that what we were trying to accomplish. But now that I look back. Um, and yeah, I guess you're right, Julie, because we're 50. But the reality of it is, is when I look at people that have invested, not just in Keller Williams franchises, but in franchises Other as a whole, yeah. there's not a single one of them wouldn't just love to get out of owning that franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, because most the thing about being a broker is for the most part, it just makes you broker. The brokerage model was not great then, and it's certainly terrible now for the most part. And so I, I look back upon all these decisions we made, and I'm, I'm glad that we had the fortitude to stick to our beliefs. But it was fascinating that at the time, we didn't have anybody that was reinforcing what we were trying to accomplish. No, not really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what was it that we were attaching ourselves to? What we were being sold was being sold based on a uh, an ego thing, right? The conversation wasn't about finances. It was about owning a brokerage, saying you own something, you own a franchise, all these agents are your agents, da 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 da, da. So it was all based on uh, ego stuff. And people were blindly... And I'm not trying to pick on KW because there's most everything in life is sold this way. If people were to all of a sudden start looking at anything in terms of what's my actual return on investment going to be, there's so many fewer things that would be sold. That's <laughs> I mean, true. Truthfully, you know, so many of these bits, like I was on a, co- I had a coaching call with um, uh, somebody just, you know, a few days ago. That's a very cool helicopter flying by. It is. And he was thinking about uh, investing in a franchise gym. Mm-hmm. And I was asking him about the numbers, and he told me how much it cost to start. He told me how much it was monthly. It just gave me all these numbers. But then I said, "Well, what's your average net? What's the average net profit off of it?" And he'd already met with. He went to the main office where this franchise was. He met with the owners. He was all juiced up to do it. Well, how much money do you expect to actually make as net profit out of this gym? And I, he didn't have an answer. Yeah. And it was nowhere in their printed material. It was nowhere in any of their pitch material. It was nowhere on any of their fancy videos. Nowhere anywhere did they actually say, when you reach this level, this is what your money is going to be. And I said, Had, did it occur to you why, what's motivating you want to pursue this? And he finally confessed it's because he's bored of, you know, he's burned out on real estate, which he had a fantastic sure. year. And I can understand why he would emotionally feel that way. But you guys see how these sort of non-business type uh, ways of thinking creeps in. And then you've set yourself on a direction that 10 years, 20 years down the road, you're going to realize, well, this doesn't make any sense because I wish I would have done different things so I could be in a different position financially now. And that's what a lot of you guys need to consider when you're setting your course for, your, for the new year. 
um, especially when you're focused on things like lead generation. Are you going to buy leads or are you going to learn how to be a proactive lead generator? Because the unintended consequences of buying leads and never learning how to be a really efficient proactive lead generator are more significant than you can possibly imagine. What you're going to have to do if you're going to be, you know, dig your heels in about buying leads, if you're not going to be a proactive lead generator, you're setting yourself up for diminished profits year after year after year. And for a whole variety of reasons, maybe it's the commissions in your market going down, maybe it's the cost of the leads going up, maybe, you know, all the different, all these different things are going to have a direct effect on your ability to actually have any kind of net profit. How do we know this for a fact? Because we look at profit and loss statements for agents and brokerages, and we've seen what's happened over just the last five years. It's devastating. Yeah, well, so the, the lead question should be, what's the profit supposed to be? followed by how am I going to get there? What are the action steps? And in fact, most people do it the opposite way. I want to do this and I'm going to then, if I even think about the numbers, try and make the fun, the numbers fit into my vision of what I think it's supposed to be. Right. And that's then, lack of business maturity. And then, you know, you're grasping at straws when you say, well, I can always sell the business. Really? You're going to sell yeah, a business yeah, that yeah. doesn't make any profit. Who's going to be dumb enough to buy it other than you, what you did? Nobody. You're it. You're the buyer. But you, no. when you guys see all these sexy lead generation funnels and all these people trying to sell you stuff, you've got to understand the difference between like, so I'm not saying the lead, the online lead generation stuff doesn't work. For example, you can spend, I mean, I, we were watching a shark tank last night. <laughs> I'll use this as an example. This yeah. is funny, right? And um, the people, the, the son and the mom who created Squatty Potty were on. I mean, seriously, I first of all, I was just thinking as I was watching this nice old lady, she wasn't even probably that old, but this nice lady with her son and there, can you imagine the conversations they've been having leading up to the development of the squatty potty? I, I just, I'm stymied by that. What do these people talk around about the Thanksgiving table, right? Oh my gosh, mom, I've got the greatest idea ever. So when you're pooping. Right. I know, I but you, you know, the amazing thing is that they actually were pretty profitable. Well, no, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Right. So Kevin O'Leary, they're, t they're sharing their numbers. But I mean, seriously, yeah. think about that. I know. There's just certain it's things just that bad. maybe shouldn't ever be invented. No. Maybe just like too much information. It can exist, but I, there's certain things that I maybe don't want to know about. Yeah, but just... But what, it could be the best thing ever. I don't but wasn't it funny? No, don't get me wrong. Uh, she Christmas. was very dignified. She was. She, she was went, very classy. And, and they were sitting there talking. I mean, you can't help but not make jokes about it. Some of you guys probably watch this Shark Tank. But yeah. Kevin O'Leary asks, okay, so what's your what's your projected revenue going to be this year? $7 million. Okay, well, that's... Okay, maybe we shouldn't be Impressive. laughing at the Squatty Potty. That's a lot of money to be... And what's your product cost? $25. What's your product cost to make? $5. Well, this sounds good. Hold on. What's your net profit going to be? And it was like 750 grand. What? Hold on. You're on making 7 million. Yeah, off 7 million and you're making 750 grand explain. And then he goes to say it's the cost of the leads that you know that's what it costs. You know, we have to spend an extraordinary because it's not going to product, you know, $5 right. per product. It that's not a lot of expense. So this company, Squatty Potty, <laughs> was spending an extraordinary amount of money just to acquire the lead, just mm -hmm. to generate the sale. Yep. Now, so, okay, if you're going to sell a, a poop stool, ooh, that, is that, what would that no, be? No, that's bad. A poop stool? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you can't not make fun of it. I know, I know. Well, what, what was it, Kevin uh, O'Leary, that sent them, this is the most interest I've had in a crappy investment? <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, okay, so if you're going to uh, be selling uh, a piece of sculpted plastic that supposedly helps you defecate better, okay, did I do it better that time? That was better. That um, you maybe have to spend that much money. Why? Yeah. Because, and this was the fascinating part, 
um, is that it's an educational product. Okay, so now that even gets worse. Mm-hmm. So you have to now educate people on why they need to use this thing in order to accomplish something that they're already seemingly not doing, you know, that they're already doing without using said Really product. not even thinking about okay. it. Okay, but they're doing it, right? $7 million selling a plastic piece of molded plastic. You know, that's impressive. So you have to spend that much money to generate that much net profit, which, you know, maybe in your minds, listeners, you're thinking, well, that's great, but it's not really. Um, so the more you spend, the, does it assume, can we assume that their net profits are going to continue to stay at 10%? Probably not. Because generally what happens is the more you, uh, the bigger you want to make your business when it's a product business like that, the more money you have to spend on customer acquisition because you can assume that they're doing the things that return the best uh, return on investment as far as marketing and advertising. So they're probably going after the lowest hanging fruit, whatever that is you know, emailing or maybe it was radio or maybe whatever it was. And that's what they're doing to actually generate the sales, the things that are going to get the most bang for the buck. But if they want to expand sales, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to go after the types of marketing and advertising and lead generation that does not get them the same return on investment, which means they're going to have to spend three, four, five times as much money to generate the same amount as net, of net profit. Do you understand, listeners? This is the philosophy that a lot of you guys have unwittingly attached yourselves to in your real estate business. So in the in sort of marketing business, a product-driven business, you have to essentially acquire customers just using you know whatever your formula is going to be. And so a lot of these internet marketers, and the whole internet marketing thing really fired up in the 90s. Um, and it makes sense because that's really when the internet, uh, consumer internet came online. And so a lot of these internet guys who are learning on the job were uh, selling products and they were selling info products. They're selling this product and that product. And then one of the products they all realized that they could sell the easiest was they could, their product was going to be teaching how other people can sell crap online. So all these big internet marketing gurus went from selling products of squatty potties or whatever the heck they were selling to then trying to sell the business opportunity of selling products. That's kind of the, was the, one of the... Uh, igniters of the whole guru industry or the whole self-proclaimed expert industry, which still is alive and well today. Are you, some of you are tuned out, but just stay focused here. So what happened was a lot of the people that basically bought into the idea that they were going to be marketing experts or they're going to be internet lead generation experts, then they needed to find a, so I'm going to call myself, I'm going to be a self-proclaimed you know, internet lead generation expert. I'm going to take some classes from Frank Kern or from somebody else, and then I'm going to be the man, right? Now who would, I need an audience. I need to come up with a product to sell. So what am I going to do? I know what. I'm going to sell something to real estate agents. Because real estate agents are not generally that sophisticated in where they spend their money. It's a you know viable market. So I'm going to create a product where I'm going to teach them how to do X that's going to solve a, you know ABC problem. And maybe it's lead generation or it's always it's almost always lead generation oriented. So that's where a lot of these guys and where a lot of this industry sort of came from was the uh, essentially the evolution of knowledge that was evolved to sell products online. Now here's the difference between what that, that sort of core uh, basic information, that um, everything I just described to you, it is applicable to real estate, but it's not directly applicable to real estate because you have something that they don't have. If I wanted to sell squatty potties right now and I was not going to advertise, how am I going to sell them, <laughs> right? What am I going to do? Set up a booth on the beach and try to you know explain, give demonstrations on the beach and how to you know use God the squatty potty? I mean, really, you're not going to do that, right? So what happened was, you know, what happens in real estate is you don't actually have to spend money to find your customers. 
and everyone tells you you have to spend money to find customers because they are spending money to find you. You're their customer trying to convince you that you have to spend money to find your customers. I know that sounds convoluted, but hopefully you guys are attaching to what I'm saying. The reason you don't have to send, spend money to, buy, to find customers is this simple fact. If you focus on becoming a listing agent, the customers find you. That's something that not a normal business has. Well, I can't really say that. So for example, if you are selling, as I'm watching, there's a big yacht going by. What do you think that is? Probably 100 and some feet? Probably. Yeah. It still looks big from all the way back here. It's big enough that, exactly. So, you know, if you're in the yacht business, if you had inventory, so you go and get people to consign their yachts with you or you, you know, you buy it with your own money or whatever, then you have buyers that come to you and then you can basically go out and sell the yachts. No, there's some, that's, you know, that's more complicated than selling real estate, isn't it? You can say the car business is the same way, all these types of businesses, but you have to go out there and acquire your, like if I was in the yacht business and I wanted to resell that yacht, um, I'm going to maybe have to buy that yacht at wholesale and sell it at retail. I'm going to have to risk my money to basically try to make a small margin on that yacht, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. In real estate, you guys don't have that problem. And that's the unique thing. And that's something it's Julie huge. It's huge. And I'm going to make this really simple. You can have tens of millions of dollars of inventory. Now, I'm going to lean forward. I'm going to look out the window. And actually, all I see is Ritz Carlton everywhere. But there's condos everywhere around here. So you can go and list some of these condos in Miami Beach for $5 million, $10 million, whatever. And you can end up having $50, $60 million worth of inventory. Now, here's a little interesting fact. Julie and I fired up um, uh, you know, the Google machine to find out how many listings there were around here. 36, over 30, almost 4,000. That, that's a huge buyer's market. Yeah. So if you're Unusual in Miami right now them. and you're buying buyer leads, you're crazy. Go after sellers. Then the buyers find you. And the inventory, to hold the inventory, to list five houses or condos and, or 10 or 20, it does not cost you anything. You have that merchandise for free when, or maybe down here, if it sells, then you make a margin on it. Your carrying cost for having said for having held that property for sale was whatever you basically promised the seller in, ter in terms of you know marketing yeah. and advertising. Do you I guys mean, understand that? It is seriously that? unusual because if you think about even the car dealer or the yacht dealer or even a grocery store, right? In if you're a real estate professional, you don't even have to carry insurance on your inventory. It, but you don't have to service your inventory. If you had inventory in a grocery store, it's going to expire on you quite literally. Yep. You got to move product. I mean, it's a different kind of pressure. But you often say, you know, having a real estate license is like a license to print money when you get it figured out. So I think these are a lot of different blessings that when you're in the thick of it, it's it's hard for them to see that sometimes. Well, like the, you know, Brandon, who was thinking about mm -hmm. starting the gym, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at all the hard costs just to get it out of the ground and you're not done. Then you have to deal with all the expenses of, sure. oh, the rent's going to increase. Oh, the insurance going to increase. Oh, somebody slipped and fall. Now you have to do the loss. The tenant da, 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 da. next to you goes away and now the place that you were at is not worth what you thought it was and nobody wants to go there anymore. Right, exactly. Or maybe whatever gym, you know, fat it is, it comes and goes and now you're stuck with a franchise that no one cares about. Could be. And so so you go through your you go through the long list of uh, essentially the types of businesses you could start, and I cannot think of anything better or more elegant than being in the real estate industry. No, nope. honestly. And so when you're thinking about your goals, if you're not thinking big <laughs> when you're setting your goals, global real estate agents because we have listeners and 
almost 60 countries now. Um, you know, on a slow day, it's like maybe 12 or 15,000 of you listen. On a, on a good day, it might be 30 or 40,000 of you listen. The reality of it is, is you guys have made the right decision. You're in the right business. You're in the right business at the right time, at least for the foreseeable future, five, maybe 10 years. The real estate industry is going to be absolutely on fire. There's so many headwinds to the economies, global economies on a whole, but all the headwinds basically are going to be great for real estate. And I'll give you the biggest one. Interest rates are going to stay low. What did you see? Did you read the 2.7%, a new record low. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Uh, Julie and I, when we bought that little dinky 800, no, 750 square foot house when we first got married, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that we were celebrated and congratulated for having an interest rate of 7%. I know because it was so low. That was a historical low. Yeah. And then, you know, for years they, it was bobbing around five to 6% and that was considered really killer. Yeah, it was. But you know, here it is, you can get something for less than 3%. So here's a little idea for you. The real estate assets in general, the reason that rich people get richer during uh, troubled times is because asset prices generally increase. You do not have to be jealous or envious or manipulated emotionally or politically by the very by the idea that rich people get richer during hard times. The reason the rich people get richer during hard times is because they have assets that increase in value. So the rental properties that you pick up now for less than 3%, even though many cases you're buying into what very feels very much like a seller's market, it is a seller's market in many markets, but that real estate is going to most likely at least appreciate or inflate um, enough to cover more than cover the interest on the loan. So you get the property for free. So if you have the opportunity, like, you know, look, Miami Beach right now, where we're standing on the seventh floor of the Ritz Carlton, overlooking all kinds of different things that are optically distracting. You'll have to agree. Okay. <laughs> right. By the way, did you see the size of that dude down there? I did. That guy did is basically taking up two loungers. Yes. That is a big man. Definitely. Lots of strange visual distractions. Yeah, what were we talking about? Anyways, so, so you know, when you're thinking about, well, where, what it was, how can I apply what Tim and Julie are saying? Well, how about this? If you were, and I haven't researched this, so don't hold me to it, but if you were to pick up probably something not too expensive that the numbers made sense in VRBO, that bad boy, you could probably make an, an absolute killer return on investment down here right well, now. Well, I, I know that this is true because many of our coaching clients live in resort markets and they have been logically you know prospecting some of their past clients that own second third homes that are vrbos and you know what their biggest objection is hell no i'm not ready to sell i'm making so much on this bad boy i know so i mean there's there's lots of proof that that is a real thing and i think you know i was reading um i can't remember which magazine or article it was but it was talking about a new trend of luxury VRBO long-term rentals where people intentionally change their surrounding to go work someplace they're interested in for 30, 60, or 90 days, right? So if I got to be on my staycation or I've got to be quarantined, maybe I want to do that in, you know, Amelia Island in Florida. Maybe I want to go try out Vail for a while. And instead of trying it out for a week, I'm going to go see what kind of deal I can get for a month or 60 days. It makes so I, I think sense. this is, you know, this is a thing. Well, but so that's the hard part, right? Yeah. Of, of looking at essentially, and you and I were writing down some points in the plane mm-hmm. of basically all the different, how things are going to change because of COVID, but because of the, there is going to be some kind of economic reset. And I'm not a, uh, again, Julian are not political, 
But when you have this much money that's being pumped into an economy and it's a fiat currency and there's all these other, you know, sooner or later, there is going to be some kind of cost to that, which is going to result in a lot of inflation. And look, without going into inflation, the bottom line is, is we've seen a lot of inflation in real estate, inflation of the increasing cost of things, right? Now, why is that? Because people obviously want to buy real estate primarily, but the other reason is because the money is so cheap relatively speaking, you know, 7% versus 3%, the example we gave us, I gave you, but then there's other things. How about this? Listeners, did you know that right now used cars, just any kind of used cars are worth closer to the original uh, MSRP? than they have been anytime since like the 50s or something until like maybe it was after World War II. I don't yeah. remember. Crazy. And now why is that? It For a whole variety of reasons. One, interest rates are low. People can get car loans. Obvious answers and people want cars. But the big reason is, is because COVID caused manufacturing facilities to fall down or to uh, slow down and close. Less and inventory. You want less inventory and that caused used car prices to spike. Well, you're still now seeing that um, essentially the inflated cost of, uh, again, cars that are essentially affecting all cars. If you wanted to go and trade in your car and upgrade it, which might not be a bad idea, if that's something that turns you on, um, you know, you're gonna get more for it now than you probably ever thought. If you're leasing a car, good chance that car off lease is worth more than you think. Don't just turn it back in because it actually might be worth more um, than whatever your uh, turn-in price is. You actually might have some equity sitting there that you could be cashing out of. You know, you could essentially sell the car on your own, pay the lease off and keep the profit. Well, now you're starting to see asset prices increase and just on anything that can be a store of value. You're going to see gold increase in value. You're going to see art increase in value. There was an art auction that just happened in, um, we watched on Bloomberg last night. What was it, China or something? I think so. Where basically art prices are going crazy. Why are people buying stuff like that? Because they are fearful globally of having their savings in cash. And so they're putting their savings into things that are going to be stores of wealth in the event that their cash loses buying power, which is already happening. Now, most people, 99% of people in the United States, and probably higher than that around the planet, aren't going to really or haven't really uh, paid attention to that or experienced any of this. This is a 1% problem, so you tell yourself, right? But then what happens is inflation really starts to rear its ugly head and starts digging in. Then it starts affecting consumer prices. Everything you can possibly imagine will increase in cost. And if your income doesn't increase in cost, that you can't keep up with the inflated cost of your just normal necessities of life, well, you're going to start feeling really, really poor. And then if, you know, again, your doomsday scenario is they believe that maybe hyperinflation will happen. And if hyperinflation happens, then essentially it's a big, huge upheaval of essentially everything that we're comfortable with and knowledgeable of. Now, here's the blessing for all of you in this scenario and all these different scenarios. Yes, during hyperinflation, what I'm about to say isn't relevant. But up to that point, and maybe it doesn't happen or maybe it does happen, only a few extremists believe that's going to happen just for the record. I don't think it will personally, but I'm certainly not an economist. Um, but leading up to that point, things like real estate are going to continue to accelerate in cost. And your commissions and your paychecks will continue to accelerate in size. That should make you very optimistic. So that's the sort of an interesting byproduct of COVID is that, again, to Julie's earlier point, real estate has become something that everyone wants to invest in, even at a higher level than in the past. Now you're seeing real estate as being something that's going to be an, you know, a good store of wealth. Um, and that trend is just getting started. And you're really going to feel it next year. And I guess I'm guessing really going to feel it for the next five to 10 years. 
And then you enter into the demographics and all the, you know, the baby boomers and all the things that people are used to talking about. No one's really relating it to uh, currency like what Julie and I like to talk about because I think it's most relevant. But that is what's happening. You know, that's what's going to continue. That trend's going to continue. So be optimistic. Think big. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. We're trying to make you feel uh, realistic, but at the same time, you know, realistic and optimistic. But at the same time, we want you to really, really force yourself to make yourself almost uncomfortable with the potential you have for yourself. Um, and yeah, be excited. So if you've not yet downloaded your real estate treasure map, I've got to look it up again, Julie. Get something yep. to say. <laughs> well, get into action, right? So you've got to think bigger. And for most of you, you got to think a little bit differently. Tim was using examples of how you think about your car, how you think about your own home, investments. Maybe you haven't ever considered doing a VRBO type property. You know, think big. This is the time to decide what you want for next year. This time next year, looking back on 2021, what are you going to be most proud of? What will you have accomplished? What was most significant to you and your family? What did you do? What can you say thank you past fill in your name? for having it together and accomplishing that. You can do more than you think. You can think bigger and you can accomplish more. Now's the time to decide what that's going to be. I'm going to, so the, to get your uh, business plan and all the other books, just text 2021 to 855-685-1045. Uh, text 2021 to 855-685-1045. I'm going to caution you guys um, as we round the bend on today's show uh, about something that I'm sort of rediscovering a lot of real estate people, a lot of people in general, they only think think opportunistically. And I was trying to relate that in my mind to what Julie and I were talking about yesterday, you know, the top, the popular topic of scarcity versus abundance, or as I like to call it, feast versus famine mentality. I think it's the same, right? So if you essentially are not, if you're just opportunistic, what does that really mean? Opportunistic means you're just looking to grab the next uh, you know, apple on the tree. You're not realizing that maybe you should be focusing on trying to buy the whole damn tree <laughs> or buy the whole orchard, right? Or maybe you're not thinking about, well, maybe I figure out a way to uh, you know, scale up a system that grabs every apple on every tree. Or maybe you're not even thinking that big. You don't want to think that big. So maybe it's just a function of how do I actually make it so that getting at that apple is a little bit easier than it was before? So how are you thinking? And Julie said, thank you, past, you know, version of you. And so we are having this morning over coffee, actually, we're talking about being grateful and thankful for the past versions of us. And I hope you guys have past versions of you that you can be thankful and grateful to as well. And if you don't, or if you don't have a lot of things to be thankful for, um, you know, let's keep it practical and tactile here. Let's not go too much into the woo-woo. Let's just keep things practical and tactile with regards to finances primarily. So if you don't have enough things that you're grateful for, the past version of you having accomplished, then it's probably about time that you take that seriously because the older you get, the more relevant that's going to become as something that you will feel mournful or regretful for. You've Look, if you're young, you think you've got a lot of time and hopefully, God willing, you do have a lot of time. But the reality of it is, is that time goes by faster than you think. I'm shocked, frankly, by the number of people that we see down here in Miami that are in their 20s and their 30s mm -hmm. that are spending money like crazy. I'm actually really yeah. surprised. When I was seeing all those fancy cars drive by, <laughs> they're mostly, all, yeah. they, you know, it's not, we're not so old that we can't like <laughs> somebody, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, look at those little kids. But they, a lot of these were definitely people in their 20s. For they sure. have to be making payments on those things. Sure. They, and they're just buying lifestyle. 
And I just wonder, is that the is that something that the future version of them will be thankful for? Maybe because they'll have maybe, had the, maybe they'll they, have the experience. Maybe they were like you when you were 30 and that was a goal. Exactly. And I, I'm with you on that. It's yeah. entirely possible. It, but would they have been more thankful if they'd been doing that and investing? Probably. Sure. That, or, that's. I think that's the point of the treasure map is... You know, it's one thing to say, all right, you know what? I've been working. It doesn't have to be either or. Right. It, and it's it's different. If you want to say, maybe you feel like, you know what? I worked my ass off this year. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. Okay. That's fine. But it's more impactful when you say, you know what? I have this really big goal that I'm going to work towards. And I know that's going to cause me to make some changes that I've maybe been procrastinating. That way I can grow my business maturity, my profitability, and have that goal. You're just using the goal as the catalyst. Well, you and I figured out our first year in the business, and I, I'm going to, gosh, this, I'm, this just really shows what being out of our environment causes the brain to do, right? <laughs> I remember you and I were sitting, when we had actually, when we started selling real estate, you and I were sitting in the conference room of HER headquarters, <laughs> and yeah. you remember, in Arlington. And I remember we were sitting there waiting for Harley Jr. to show up, and he showed up late, and he was all sweaty. And now he's a congressman, basically. He moved to California, and now he's a congressman, a Democratic uh, congressman. Do you know that? Did I tell mm-hmm. you that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as soon as they sold HER, they moved out of uh, Columbus, and they moved to uh, California. Yeah. 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 Well, so it's all right. Whatever. Yeah. you know. Um, so I remember waiting in the conference room for him to show up, and I remember... Um, we were in there by ourselves and, you know, it was some stately sort of, you know, exactly what you'd expect. Yeah. Yeah, Dark brown walls, dark brown, you know, it was vinyl furniture. I remember that. But I remember looking out this window and out this window, you could see just thousands of houses. Um, you know, maybe a five story building. I don't remember all the exact details, but I remember thinking and saying to Julie, Julie, do you see all those houses out there? Every one of those, when those go for sale is a 6% commission. You know, every single one of those. We're looking at the sure. window of nothing but never-ending mm-hmm. opportunity. Every place you looked, there was an opportunity to make a commission. And that was when basically we we're in our, you know, first year of the business and choosing a broker. And, I, I, and that thought right there has always stayed with me because without knowing it, we'd chosen the best industry in the world to get into because we were selling something that everyone needed. So we were talking before about if you wanted to open up a yacht business or a gym or if you want to start selling whatever you want to sell, not everybody needs what you're selling. And furthermore, people aren't going to buy what, you aren't, what you're selling if they're not in a certain emotional state or right. if they're not, you understand, certain it's, things are only bought yeah. during, you know. But real estate is, is something you need all the damn time, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You always need a house to live in, whether you're owning it, whether you're leasing it, whether you're buying it as an investment. Can you think of anything else other than, you know, obviously, you know, toilet paper and commodities that you have to buy? All I got is groceries and not even gas for your car. You could take the bus. You sure. could live a place that's very, you or know, have you an could electric urban, car, frankly. urban. Yeah. But I mean, cars are, an ex- cars are actually a salient example, but I have seen tons of people around here on e-bikes. Yeah, so, absolutely. So not even that. And, you know, I, all I've got to come up with is maybe uh, water and groceries. Yeah, that's it. So picking yeah. an industry... Uh, that is where everyone needs what you're selling. That is uh, incredible. And have you? You're, you're, you I'm, your, I'm noodling. You got your thinking face on. I yeah. was thinking maybe pharmaceuticals, but you know, not everybody gets sick, so maybe not everybody needs medicine. No, not everyone needs medicine, but you always need a place to live. Yeah, you always need uh, you know a roof over your head. Mm-hmm. You do. That's right. Uh, God willing, you don't become homeless. But the reality of it is, is that that's an industry. Housing is an industry which will always be the backbone of certainly the U.S. economy. That is an amazing thing. Well, but that's also a mindset. I will never forget when you had an interview with Frederick Eklund, and he yeah. said, when I walk out my door in Manhattan, 
Every single person that I run into has housing on their mind. Renting, owning, leasing, investing. Somebody's thinking about housing all the time. And so and you got to think about it that way. And so if you're a real estate agent and you're thinking that you have to buy your business, or if you think business is hard to come by, or if you think real estate is anything that is even remotely associated with limiting, you just, you don't get it. You're not doing real estate right because you've chosen an industry that has no limits to how much money you can make and the number of people you can help. It has no limits to, frankly, once you get your skill set down, where you can live and the experiences you have. You did that right. <laughs> Congratulations. That's something the future version of you should be thanking. Assuming now what you do is you focus all your best energies on becoming a listing agent. What makes and can make real estate hell is when you start buying in, in the literal sense, to buying your business. That's what makes real estate a living hell. When you start believing that you have to spend your what would have been profit to buy more business because you never learned how to have the skill set to earn your business or be a pro proactive lead generator. That's going to be one of those things, the future version of you. I promise you, especially after listening to Julie and I and reading our book, Harris Rules, uh, you're, that's going to be something the future version of you probably will not be too thrilled about the current version of you having done. So you still do have plenty of time. And again, I do believe that we are on the start of what's going to be a historical real estate boom, believe it or not, to become a listing agent. Focus all of your best energies on becoming a listing agent. And then all you've got to do is, again, it's part of the real estate treasure map, is focus on what your real estate magic number is, the number of listings you need at all times to meet exceed your financial goals and hopes and dreams. It's all right there in the real estate treasure map. Download it, uh, text 2021 to... Oh, I should write this down, Julie. So text, text 20. Oh, I doubt it. Text 2021 to 855-685-1045. You know what? You're good at remembering numbers. Oh, she'll have it memorized. You guys watch. So text 2021 to 855-685-1045. Download the real estate treasure map. Um, make it so the future version of you, and maybe it's just in a year. Maybe a year from now, we're sitting at the beach together, right? And we're in you know Miami or we're in Puerto Rico or in Spain or south of France. No, it's cold there. Forget that. <laughs> nope. But we're someplace together next year around holiday time, and we're looking back at what the you know you did over the last twelve months. What is it that we're celebrating? What is it that we're looking back upon that you're really going to feel proud of having accomplished? Is it your logo? Is it your you know website? No, it's going to be the money you saved, the people you helped, the net worth that you created for yourself. You, it's going to be you moving closer to the version of you who is financially independent who's frankly rich, where your money works for you, you no longer have to work for your money. Isn't that the reason you got into real estate ultimately? When you peel back all the layers, wasn't it for the sense of you know accomplishment and financial freedom? Chances it was. Chances it were? Chances, Chances are it was. There you go. <laughs> I'm officially done. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note. So download your real estate treasure map. We're going to start talking about it in the next couple of days and helping you actually fill out the pages and doing the math. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Math. I Morning. said it. Math. <laughs> Don't worry. You'll make it through. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening today. Thank you for continuing to make this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate agents in the world. No, not quite yet, but at least in the United States. And if you ever need us for anything, if you want to talk to Julian about joining our EXP family, yes, Julie and I would love to sponsor you at EXP. If you're ready to choose the right sponsor, uh, for EXP, just text me directly to my cell phone, which is 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. 
For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.